Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday to you. My name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock. It's time for Tim with Tim. We are going verse by verse right now through the book of 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 3 today, verses 1 to 16. You good? Uh, I love you guys so much. I really, really do. Uh, all, all the fire team guys on Spotify, I love you guys. Uh, all of you on YouTube, uh, Edie, Marie, any of you, Claudine, I, I just love you. I love you all so much. Thank you. Uh, all the folks on Facebook, you mean the world to me. Some of you have been with me since the very first day uh, in, in the shutdown of COVID when I decided to try to create some spiritual closeness in a time of physical distance. I remember that. Uh, and here we are. We're still going, you all. We're still going. First Timothy chapter 3 today. Let's talk about church leadership. I don't know what your church background is. I don't know what your denomination or tradition is. I don't know what the structure of your church's leadership is. But I'll tell you one thing, your church thinks they do it according to the Bible, and they probably don't look like our church at all. <laughs> it's just kind of the funniest thing. Uh, churches have a lot of different ways of structuring. Some churches have priests, you know, uh, uh, deacons, uh, elders, bishops, you know, popes, I mean, all kinds of structures. You know, some churches refuse to have any sort of paid clergy at all, use all lay leadership. Uh, some people have, you know, deacons and elders, but they don't do the same thing that the deacons do at my church. Uh, we have deacons here. I'm pastor. Uh, we have staff. Um, you know, how is it that all these churches can have all these different ways of, you know, structuring leadership. And at the very same time, everybody says they get their leadership from the Bible. It's just kind of funny. Well, uh, I, you, you, by now y'all know me. Uh, I, I just kind of read the Bible and leave people alone. <laughs> and uh, I, I just, I, the, the Bible doesn't give us a manual of church leadership. Let's just be honest about that. We don't exactly know how all of the early churches were structured. It doesn't even always seem like they were structured the same way. Perhaps they were. From the book of Acts forward into the letters of Paul and then beyond, you do see an evolution, a sort of a fluid church structure that evolves to meet the needs of a growing church. Um, but even with that, when you run across a title like elder, or you know, today when it says if someone aspires to be a church leader, that Greek word is bishop. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? Like, what did a bishop do in, in Ephesus? Like, what in the world? Um, and, and to add to all of that, you know, there's probably nothing in Paul's imagination that would that would meet what I am as a pastor, you know, today in the you know 21st century in the United States in a Baptist church. I mean, Paul couldn't have imagined my life as a pastor. So, so let's just all be humble and, and admit that we just don't know that much about how the early staff, early church was structured. We just don't know. And where we do know with the certain titles, deaconess, deacon, elder, um, pastor, apostle, we don't really know what those people did. We do not have their job description. Because to be honest, Paul, who is our primary source, he doesn't give job descriptions for any of these tasks. Instead, he gives character descriptions. He doesn't talk about what the leaders do in particular. He just talks about the kind of people that ought to be in leadership. You know, And I guess there's wisdom in that. 
you get the right people on the bus and let them drive and chances are you're going to end up in the right place. It doesn't matter what you call them. And, and they may choose to approach their task according to their gifts and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and, and so be it. I have a feeling that there's just this wideness in the Holy Spirit and in the way that churches can function. Uh, and I think we see it in Scripture. So like I say, chapter 3 gives us character descriptions of those that Timothy, young Timothy, should put in leadership in Ephesus. Remember, that's his primary purpose. Paul left him here to clean up the leadership mess in that church, uh, to try to get rid of the turkeys that are polluting uh, the church with false teaching and install some faithful, good examples who can lead this church faithfully. You see? And so we start out, uh, this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to be a bishop, <laughs> an elder, whatever, you know, uh, he desires an honorable position. I, I think we should say that right from the start because I think a lot of people have this idea that to be a church leader is somehow not something to be desired. Uh, I, I think pastors in recent surveys rank right up there with, you know, used car salesmen and you know, whoever it is that scrapes your gums. I mean, you know, uh, we're not necessarily well thought of in the culture anymore. And for the most part, we brought that on ourselves. Uh, in verse 7 where it says, you, you got to be careful about people in leadership so that they don't disgrace themselves in front of the world because that plays into the devil's hands, you know. Too many of us who have been in leadership in churches have disgraced ourselves before the world, and the devil wins when we do that. So we're paying the price for that. Uh, church leaders don't necessarily have a good reputation in the world. But the only way to change that is, is Paul's approach. You know, let's get rid of the turkeys and put some good people in leadership positions. And, and, and the kind of character descriptions that Paul gives here gives us sort of a, a, a way forward. Church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. Not perfection, but utter faithfulness. You know, there are no perfect people uh, but they're very, very faithful people. And the ones we can point to and say, now there's a good example right there. You know, appoint good examples. Because honestly, in the church, the only real authority that any of us in leadership have is the authority of our example. If I'm a good example of, of the things that I proclaim in the pulpit, then I will have a credibility and authority that's different if it's perceived that I don't really myself believe what it is I preach or I don't live by my own standards, by the standards of Christ. You see what I'm saying? And so you, uh, you, you, you look at character. It's not perfection, but, but, but faithfulness. Now, he gives a, a, a set of you know, characteristics of the, the first leader, elder, bishop, whatever, overseer, and then he gives a description, a character description for deacons. Notice that the, the qualifications aren't that different, that they're really not, because in, in the New Testament church, leadership is not a, a, an issue of status. In other words, the overseer you know, isn't somehow you know, more important uh, it doesn't have a higher rank. Because again, that's not the way Christ taught us about leadership. Jesus always said, if you want to be the greatest, make yourself the least. If you want to be the master, you got to learn to serve. If you want to go to the top, you run straight to the bottom. And so we don't have hierarchy. We don't have status in the church after Jesus. Instead, we just have functions. And so the overseer, that's a function in the church. And a deacon, that's a function. And it doesn't mean that one is, is higher ranking, you know. It's not that. Now, we may have, you know, someone who is, you know, charged to supervise another person. 
Uh, Paul is a mentor over these young pastors. His authority comes from you know, his experience, but at the same time, we all have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same standing before Christ. And so there isn't that real sense of hierarchy. Do you see that? So the qualifications are basically identical. For the deacon in verses 8 to 13, a deacon must be well-respected or serious. I think the King James says not double-tongued. Uh, integrity. In other words, you don't say one thing and do another. You don't, you don't you know, talk out of both sides of your mouth, that, that sort of idea. Uh, not given to a lot of alcohol, not a drunkard, not greedy, not a lover of money. Holding fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. I love that. And then uh, uh, the husband of one wife, uh, the best way to, the most literal way to translate that would be a one-woman man. Uh, that's what it says, a one-woman man. So rather than uh, that be some sort of prohibition for divorced people in church leadership, I just see that as a requirement that leaders be faithful in marriage, a one-woman man. Um, I don't know any other situation where past life, even before your salvation is held against you, I was all kinds of things before I met Jesus, you know, and, and you can't continue to hold a person's sinful past when Christ himself chooses not to remember those things. I think it's more an observation of present status. Are you faithful in marriage? Would your wife ordain you, you know? Because notice that there is that if a person can't manage their household well, it's that idea that if you really want to know what kind of person you're looking at, then look at those who are most directly impacted by their influence, and that would be their children, their family, the people that got to live with them. You know, How do they fare under that person's leadership? That's a pretty good, perhaps, indicator of how the church will fare under their leadership. Now, let me say a word about verse 11. I know I'm out of time. Uh, in the same way, their wives who live in translation, and probably all your life you've heard that verse out of English translation say in the same way, their wives must be respected. Did you ever stop to ask yourself why in the world Paul would give qualifications for the deacon's wife? Um, can I just point out to you that the word there is just women? In the same way, women must be respected, not slandering others. I mean, this is in the context of an entire section where Paul is giving qualifications for workers in church. And I, I don't, in my life, I've noticed women make excellent workers in church. There's no reason not to read these verses as qualifications for women workers, for women leaders. Why would it not be? The word, it's just Greek, guna, you know, gynecology. I mean, it's just the word that means women. And to make that narrowly refer only to deacons' wives, that's an assumption that the translator has that women can't be leaders in the church. You know, you're reading that into the text, and you don't get to do that. You know, Paul's word there is just women. And we know in Romans 16, you know, deaconesses are, 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 are given credit and praise. We know that there were women deacons in the early church. We know there were. Paul mentions them. He commends them. So why would we get here and pretend like Paul wouldn't give qualifications for deaconesses? You know what I'm saying? We know that Paul recognized women deacons. You know, we know he did. Now, you may not like it. Uh, it may make you uncomfortable, but you cannot change the letter of Scripture. Paul knew women deaconesses. One's name was Phoebe. He talks about her in Romans 16. I mean, there were women deacons. And so it's very likely here in verse 11, Paul's given qualifications for deaconesses. I mean, the word is just women. And then qualifications, character description for women. Uh, I, I just think the plainest way to read that verse is to realize that Paul is giving qualifications for women who are going to go to work in churches like everybody else, you know. 
Uh, a deacon must be faithful to his wife, manage his children and household well. Paul just goes on and on. And then uh, that chapter ends with verses 14 to 16 with that great hymn, that great statement of faith there at the end of chapter 3. Uh, anyway, I, I love this passage. There's a lot to it. And as I say, churches, all of us try our best to follow you know, the letter of Scripture. But as I say, there's no manual of church leadership. We all have to follow the Spirit in our present context, following the mission and purpose of our local church as the Holy Spirit reveals that to us, and then try to put the very best people in the right seats on the bus so that we can get to where the Holy Spirit wants us to go. Uh, men and women together. Uh, anyway, I love you guys so much. There you go. Uh, tomorrow, chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. We'll just sort of go through one chapter at a time, and we're going to get through First Timothy pretty quickly, as I think you've noticed. Anyway, have a great Thursday. Enjoy this beautiful day God has made, and I'll see you in the morning, Lord willing, 10 o'clock for Tim with Tim. I love you all. Have a good day.